Pentecost Sunday, what's going on? The message is entitled Lessons from Pentecost. So let's get some Bible up here on the screen. We're going to look at the short little caption, little vignette of what happened on Pentecost Sunday. And I'm going to read it to you and you should be able to read it on the screen at the same time. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the birth of the church. And I think we need to pay attention and realize that the birth of the church was not the birth of a social organization. It was not the birth of a social club. It was not the birth of something that was going to become an expression of human excellence. Far too many of us believe today that if we do a great job of running church, we're going to accomplish God's purposes through that church. As if human excellence can somehow accomplish God's best. No, this was a birth of power. This was a supernatural encounter of a group of people with the power of God. So the birth of the church is a supernatural birth. This means that the church, us, the church today, all of the church, wherever you find it, is designed by God to move in the supernatural power of God. Our birthright is supernatural. Our mission is supernatural. Our new identity is supernatural. We are indwelt by the power that fuels the sun. The power that fuels the sun is nothing compared to the power that lives inside of each one of us. So this event in the book of Acts, this coming of power, starts with an earlier command from Jesus. And we need to put this in context because this is really important. Get this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the key word I want you to focus on is the word wait. Wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. Jesus made them wait. My question is, why? Why did he make them wait? Why didn't he just do it? Perhaps we can find the answer to this question, why did he say to wait? In an earlier teaching, some time earlier, that Jesus gave his disciples about praying and receiving the Holy Spirit. You see, the Acts event is in the context of previous teaching. It's the fulfillment of previous teaching. He, he didn't just sort of make it up in the last minute of, hey, I'm going back to heaven soon, so you should get the power, so I want you to wait. There's a whole context of teaching about this. And here it is. And this is really radical. When you understand what he said here, it is really seriously radical. In fact, some of you will have trouble with this teaching. So I say to you, now he's teaching now about 
They said, how should we pray? Teach us to pray. So he does a little, little teaching on prayer. And he says this, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. You all know this passage. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to one who knocks, the door is open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, now listen, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This isn't just a lesson in how to pray. This is an instruction of how to receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you're praying for the Holy Spirit, when you're praying for more of God's two things, always two things, works of the Holy Spirit, just two things, love and power. Love is that internal experience of the presence of God for us, the witness that you are God's well-loved child. Your identity has been changed. You, you, by the birth of the Holy Spirit within you and the work of the Holy Spirit within you, you're not you anymore. You're God's child, you. Your, your last name, spiritually, has been changed. You are a child of God. That's the inner work. The outer work is an expression of power. Now you are dwelt with the very power of God, and He wants to flow through you to change the lives of the people around you. Love or power. So when we're asking God for either more love or more power. We're asking for the Holy Spirit. Because He's the one that does it. So this is a lesson about prayer, but it's also a lesson about how to receive the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, and knock. Okay, let's break down the meaning of these three words for a moment. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask is really easy. It simply means speak out and make a request. Just ask. Just say, God, I, I want I want more of your love, more of your power in my life. Now, seek is a more interesting word. It actually means in the Greek, take a physical action. Like, stop just standing there, do something. Don't just stand there, do something. It's a physical word. To take action, to, to, to move forward, to, to step forward. So we've gone from, I should just ask, to... Get involved somehow. Come on, take an action. Do something. They describe increasing levels of effort. Now, knock is the one I want to focus on because this guy's is actually a bit scandalous. This is this is going to offend some of you, but I want you to just bear with me to understand why he told us to knock. Knock in the Greek is best translated by an old English word we don't use anymore, but we should. It is the English word importunate, to be importunate. Does anyone here know what importunate means? Not many, because we don't use it very often. We don't, but here, here is what it means. Listen to this. This is the actual meaning of the word Jesus is using when he says, I want you to knock. I want you to knock. It means to be persistent, especially to the point of annoyance or intrusion. 
Its synonyms are these. Persistent, insistent, tenacious, persevering, dogged, unremitting, unrelenting, tireless, indefatigable, stubborn, intransigent, obstinate, obdurate, pressing, urgent, demanding, entreating, nagging, exacting, clamorous, clamant, aggressive, high pressure, and pushy. Are you getting the, you get the visceral thing here? Jesus is saying when you want something from God, particularly when you're asking for more of the Spirit, you have to make an all-fired nuisance of yourself. You get in God's face and you make him miserable. You make a nuisance. Do we need to read these words again? Persistent, insistent, tenacious, persevering, dogged, unremitting, unrelenting, tireless, indefatigable, stubborn, intransigent, obstinate, obdurate, pressing, urgent, demanding, entreating, nagging, exacting, clamorous, clamant, aggressive, high pressure, and pushy. There were some more of them in this list I didn't read. There was too many. It's make a flipping nuisance of yourself. Get in his face and demand it. That's Jesus' lesson on how to approach God in prayer when you want more of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, I'm undeserved. I'm just a little loser. I have no, I have no right to ask. I know it's a lot of trouble for you. I wouldn't blame you if you didn't answer my prayer. But I'll just, could you give me just a tiny, tiny little portion of your Holy Spirit just to get me through another miserable day? That's not what he's talking about. Is it not shocking to realize that this is how God wants you to treat him when you come to ask for more of him? He's telling us to pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this radical, hyper-aggressive, and rude way. Look, why didn't he just make it easy for us? He's making it hard for us. He's bugging us to bug him. Why is he doing this? something interesting. We see the same approach to spiritual gifts in the Apostle Paul's instructions about seeking the supernatural of the Holy Spirit. What did he say? Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Well, until you understand what eagerly desire means, that passage just doesn't mean very much. The phrase eagerly desire is an extremely strong Greek phrase. It literally means to burn with zeal for. It is to have an emotional craving that is driving you crazy. It can be translated to be jealous or envious for. It is a powerful driving emotion. And at this point, the picture becomes perfectly clear. God wants us to go after the spiritual gifts with a burning passion and to literally make a nuisance of ourselves with Him until we get them. 
Why is he making it so hard for us? Why the waiting? Why the spiritual hunger? Why the path? Any guesses? He loves drama. Well, that's, that's a good one. It tends to push everything else out of the way until we have one burning desire. Until we're what James calls single-minded. We have a passionate focus. That's a very good answer, Alan. I didn't think of that. I like it. I got another one. I think, I think I got another reason. It comes out of something in the Old Testament. The light went on for me. I thought, wait a minute, what about that story of da 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 da? Yeah, yeah. He's been doing this a long time. He didn't just figure this out in the last few minutes of the early church, you know, like birth of the church, make them hungry. He had a reason way back then. This is really cool. We've got the beginning of the answer in the Old Testament story of Israel's conquest of the promised land. See, it's a beautiful analogy. The people taking the promised land and the people coming into the kingdom in the book of Acts. There's very, a lot of similarities here. So here's the story. God had made the promise to Moses and Joshua that he would conquer all, he, capital H, he, he, not them, he, he was going to conquer these tribes occupying their promised land. But when he did so, he left a number of tribes for the Israelites to conquer themselves. Here is God's explanation for why after making the promise, I'm going to give you this and I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to do it. Does he do it partially and leave a bunch of guys they got to beat up on themselves? Here's his explanation. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. There was a bunch of people, Israelites, that weren't part of the first beginning of the conquest. They didn't know what it was to fight. They'd never fought before. He, listen, this is, I'm quoting this from the Bible, guys. Listen, I'm not making this up. He did this, left these guys in place for them to have to fight. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of Israel who had not had previous battle experience. Is any light coming on? He leaves problems. This is a little bit of a tangent. He leaves problems in our lives so we can learn to fight, to overcome the problem. We're sitting here saying, oh God, you've got to free me from this problem. This problem is so bad. I hate, the, I hate my life right now. It's horrible. It's terrible. You've got to come in and you've got to conquer this enemy for me. And he says, do it yourself. Come on, fight. You've got to learn to fight. You've got to learn to persevere. You've got to learn to endure. You've got to learn to struggle. Why? Why? And John answered, the Pastor John answered the question last week in his message and the light came on for me. This is what I'm going to preach next Sunday. From the days, now listen to me people, this is the world we live in. This is our fight. This is our struggle. This is how it all works. From the days of John the Baptist, 
until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. The advancement of the kingdom of God in this world is subject to violence. The advancement of the kingdom of God in you is subject to violence. It is being spiritually opposed constantly. The word comes and is scattered on the, on the path. And the, and, and the word is like seed and it wants to take root. But the birds of the air, those black crows, I wonder what they represent, come and pick the seed right off the ground before it has a chance to take root. Every truth God wants to give you is opposed before it hits your ears. And as soon as it hits your ears, it's opposed with a bunch of lies. And it is a, Paul calls it the fight of faith. He doesn't call it the nap of faith. The passive of faith. He calls it the fight of faith. We're in the fight for faith. We're in the fight for belief. We're in the fight to make it through. And it's not because God wanted it that way. It's because when rebellion began in the garden, and rebellion was sown into human nature. We have, a, we have become a people fighting against ourselves and evil within us, selfishness within us, and fighting against those things in the world which are supercharged by the presence of the enemy. We are in a fight. And it will not end till you die. Bad news, sorry, but it's the truth. And if we don't learn to fight, we will learn to be victims. You, got, you only have two choices now. You can either learn to fight or you can curl, curl up in a ball and say, don't kick me anymore. But he loves kicking you because every time the enemy kicks you, it touches God's heart. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And this is us he's talking about. Two, two interpretations. Violent people have been raiding it. That means the opposition from the enemy. But another interpretation of that phrase is, and the violent people take the kingdom for themselves with violence. You have got to have a certain attitude to take the things of God to yourself. You have to be aggressive. You cannot expect it all just to be spoon-fed to you. You fight to grow up. You fight to adulthood. You fight to believe. You fight to help others. You fight to be strong. It is a war, people. We're in a war. It's not a pretend war. It's not a Hollywood war. There's real people get lost in the battle. There's real people that hurt. There's real people that die. There's real people that are lost. Jesus told us, John, quoting John from last week, I just love this analogy. I've thought of it many times myself. Jesus told us when we became Christians, we weren't invited onto a luxury cruise ship. We were enlisted onto a battleship. And I'm afraid in this country, we have sold the Christian faith to people as come and get all your needs met and have a trouble-free life and God just exists to take care of all your issues and you're invited onto a cruise ship and I really hope you, you like the menu. That is not true. We were enlisted into the military. We were enlisted into a battleship, not a cruise ship. We've been born into the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is being violently opposed. We are in a war, and we are not civilians. We are soldiers. And we have a real enemy. And here's the irony, guys. Here's the irony. And because we have a real enemy, and we're born into a war, we are safest when we are fighting. 
you are safer fighting against the enemy than you are curling up and hoping he leaves you alone. We are safest when we're attacking, not retreating. The enemy flees from us when we choose to attack. When we curl up and go into a defensive position, he knows he's got us where he wants us, and he starts kicking us. Paul calls this the fight of faith. Jesus told us to be importunate because by doing so, we will learn to fight for what is ours. We will help take the land. Our faith is built by fighting for it. God has left many blessings in this category of what has to be fought for. Not because he is mean or miserly, but because he knows that we have an enemy who is constantly trying to steal God's good gifts away from us or prevent us from receiving them in the first place. He knows that we will have to fight, fight to obtain and keep the authority and power that he has given us. He knows we're going to need the supernatural gifts to win the battle. He knows we'll need to be passionate in our desires for more of the Holy Spirit. Guys, here's the truth out of years and years of being a pastor and observing people's lives and my own. Here, here's the truth that I firmly believe with all my heart. Barring crazy things like car accidents and murder and a few things like that, we basically get as much of God in our life as we really want. God in our life is proportional to our hunger. The more we hunger for him, the more we receive. It just, it, it's not a lack of grace. It's not earning it. It's what happens in the middle of a fight. You get about as much as you're willing to fight for. We get as much of God as we hunger for. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine up in the Central Valley. We were, I've been pondering the question for the last several months. Why some people seem to receive so much of the Holy Spirit in their lives and others seem to receive so little. It seems so unfair to me. I was actually quite angry with God. We went through some real arguments in the last month. I was frustrated. Why have some people had such rich experiences of the Holy Spirit and others seem to get nothing at all? I was talking to this pastor friend and he told me his experience of the Holy Spirit. It worked like this. He read a book about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It flamed desire in his heart for that experience. He was a young man at the time. But he wanted more of God more than anything. So he took his sleeping bag and he went to the church. And he went into the sanctuary and unrolled his sleeping bag. And he said to the Lord, I am not leaving this place until you give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Period. I'll starve and die here first. But you're going to give me the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He stayed until God did, and God did, and it changed his life, and he's who he is today because of it. I was in Manzanillo, Mexico, a number of years ago. Uh, one of the coolest things I've ever done, we went on a tour of a mangrove swamp. 
on these little boats is just awesome. The mangroves swamps are so thick with the branches that they have to take a power saw and they have to cut enough branches for a little boat to go through. It's really a cool thing to do. We saw, you know, we saw snakes and we saw lizards and we saw alligators and we saw all sorts of cool life, nature creatures. But the coolest thing we did was at the end of that tour, they took us back to the compound and they gave us each a little baby sea turtle. Cutest little thing you've ever seen about about this big like this with their little, they don't have legs because they're sea turtles, they have little flippers. Cutest little thing. They said, now you get to release it to go into the ocean to fulfill its purpose, to grow to be these massive sea turtles that are like this. And they said, but one thing you can't do. What's that? You can't put it in the water. I said, well, what do you mean? No, you don't understand. You can't put it in the water. They have to crawl a long distance across the hot sand they have to struggle and fight to get to the water. He said, why? Well, if they don't, their flippers don't develop properly and that they'll be, they'll be eaten by these. They can't move around in the water. They, they gotta fight to become strong enough to survive in the ocean. So my sister named her little turtle. So there's an emotional investment here. And I named mine, and there was a few more people. We all put them on the sand together, and we're like urging them on. Come on, come on, fight. He takes a few little, oh, and he's tired. <sighs> don't go to sleep. Don't stop. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It took, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour for them to get from here to the wall, to the waves. When they hit the waves, waves just like flip them backwards, and he tumbles back, and he's like shaking his head and looks around, and now the wave's back there again. He has to struggle again to get to the water. They all made it. And we cheered them on. Because we want them to make it. But they have to do it for themselves. If you put them in the water, they're going to die. They didn't fulfill their destiny to fight and struggle for life. I wanted to make it easier for my turtle. I was tempted to make it easier for my turtle. I would have killed my turtle and ruined it if I had made it easy for it. Same thing with the eggs of little birds. That little bird has to peck its way out of the egg. If you crack it and let it out, it will die because it didn't learn to peck. What's my point? Some things are worth waiting for. And many experiences are better because we waited for them. We value them more. Some things are worth fighting for. And many things are worth more to us because we fought for them. No pain, no gain. No risk it, no risk it. So if we want more of the Holy Spirit, I, this is the part I don't fully understand. Bugs me. How do I increase my hunger? I know I need to be hungrier for the Holy Spirit. How do I increase my hunger? My prayer started with this. 
Lord, I admit I don't want you very much, but I want to want you very much. Help me to want to want you very much. Begin at the level of my desires. Begin to breathe on me with a passion. It comes from you. I get no credit for it, but you've got to help me. You've got to touch my heart. You've got to wake me up. You've got to start to, there's a tiny little flame in there. But if you blow on it, it gets bigger. And then it gets bigger again. And then it gets bigger again. And pretty soon I'm raging with desire and I'll do anything to get what I want. And then wonderful things start to happen. You begin to see the power of God in your life. And it's supernatural. It's not just a nice thing. It's an amazing thing. You start to see people healed. You start to have words, thoughts that came into your mind that turned out to be absolutely accurate of what another person is going through. And you gave them that message and it rocked their world and their life starts to change. And you begin to find out that all these, these things you thought were coincidences are not coincidences. Coincidences. I'm on a roll. I can't talk. And you start to realize I am cooperating with a supernatural God and he's doing supernatural stuff through me and people, I'll tell you, there is no fun like it. That nothing in the world can touch the pure adventure and fun of being used by God to do supernatural things that cannot be explained any other way than, oh Lord, that was God. Oh my God, that was you. It is fun. It is life-giving. It is adventure. It's a war, but it's an adventure. And when you finish it, you will be so much better off than if you didn't. Okay, we're going to break up into discussion groups if you feel like it. Because one of the things COVID really damaged us in was our relationships with one another. We didn't get to be close enough. We found that when we do little, little interactive groups after the message, people just love it. So if you want to be part of that, you can be part of that. But you don't have to. You know, if you're visiting today and you say, I'm creeped out by being in a small group with people, be creeped out. That's okay. But we offer you the opportunity. But before we do that, I want to have an application to this message, okay? And I don't want all of you to stand up because it makes me feel good. I only want you to stand up if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to stand up, okay? We're a church of integrity. We don't pretend stuff here. And not everyone's at the same place, and not everyone feels what I'm about to describe. But if you do, I want a chance to pray for you. If the Spirit has somehow communicated to you this morning that you want your spiritual hunger increased, you want the, the flame fanned, and you realize you need the, the flame fanned, and you want his involvement in fanning that flame within you, increasing your hunger, stand up. And if you want that, we're going to pray for you quickly and ask the Lord to do it. Okay? So anyone that wants that, just stand up, and, and we're going to pray for you. Okay. Great. And I'm glad that those that didn't, didn't, because that's integrity, and God responds to integrity. Okay, open your hands, just like you're going to receive something good. Because you are going to receive something good. You're going to receive more of God right now. He promises that. Holy Spirit, first of all, we think you're amazing. We think you're interesting. We think you're wonderful and powerful. You're mysterious. You do some very strange stuff, but it always turns out to be good. So we know we can trust you. 
So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and to touch our hearts with a renewed passion for you and for God, the Father, and for Jesus, our Savior. Holy Spirit, come. Come now. Come now and begin stirring our hearts with a passion for you. Awaken passion. Lord, I had a vision some time ago of your bride. It was, it was a sleeping beauty story. Your bride was lying on a bed. She was in sleep. She was in a coma. That was your church. She was in a coma. And then, Jesus, you walked into the room and you were the prince. And you leaned over and you kissed her. And she woke up. And she came alive. And she breathed and she smiled and she stood up and you presented her to the world and said, this is my bride. Holy Spirit, come and kiss your bride. Come and kiss your bride this morning. Come and kiss our hearts with your love. Reveal your goodness to us. Because every bit of you that you reveal to us is something that touches us and changes us and inflames our hearts with love for you. We respond because you touched us and showed us something. So Holy Spirit, come and do it right now. Come. Reveal to us your love and your goodness and your power. Come and witness to us right now your power and your love. Inflame our desire for you, our hunger for you. Do it, Lord. Now just pay attention to the thoughts that come into your mind. Pay attention to what's happening in your emotions as we wait for him. Because he's going to do something. He's going to give a thought in your mind or show you a picture of something. He's going to begin to touch your desire for him and to breathe on it and to increase it. So pay attention. Kathy just had a word from the Lord. He reminded us in a prayer session a couple weeks ago that our church was coming into a new period that he called, I'd forgotten about this, that he called the Great Awakening. They were coming into the Great Awakening. And this is part of the Great Awakening. Maybe this is the beginning for many of us of the Great Awakening. We've been asleep to more of him and we're becoming awake to more of him. We can celebrate that. And we can pray for that for one another. And we can pray for that for ourselves. And as we ask him for more, he comes with more. Because he responds to our desire for him. And he keeps compounding it. Increasing it as he breathes and reveals his goodness to us. He breathes upon us. It transforms our desires and inflames them. And as we desire more of him, we receive more. Thank you, Lord, for this beginning. Thank you, Lord, for this beginning. What's he saying to you? What's he showing you? Anybody getting anything from the Lord? 
Qumran and said, listen to me and obey me. That's a good way to grow. What else, what else was coming to you? Anything, yeah. Yeah? Yeah? So lyrics in the song, it's not a building you want, it's my heart that you want. It's a place of residence. Anything else? What did he say? Yeah. Ava. He said to Ava, sit down and speak no more. And wait and rest in me. And you're going to get more of me. Waiting upon him is what you're describing. Simply quietly waiting for him with a hunger. Anybody else? What do you say? Okay. We've got a bunch of people who are ready to um, lead a small group if you want to talk about these things and have a little bit of an interaction. Would the people who are leading the groups this morning please put your hands up? Stand up and put your hands up. Okay, we've got Jerry, Christina, Gary, Mark, and myself. So guys, would you spread up and take some chairs, create some places where we can meet. And guys, if you're comfortable to do it, do it. And if you're not comfortable, I hope we get to see you next week. And, and okay, and... Um, Rachel is taking the high schoolers and middle schoolers. Excellent. And I'll be up here, whoever wants to be up here. So let's let's uh, form up into groups, or God bless you, we see you next week. Yes. Oh, if you guys need the questions for today's discussion, you can come and get them. I've got them right here if you need them. Gary, this is yours. And Mark, this is yours. And where's Rachel? Rachel, do you need the questions? You got them? On your phone. Good. Okay. Do you guys want to join in my group? Come on over. Oh, you know what? Stay right where we'll do it right there. That's even better. It's in the shade.